we've talked about time off and unlimited time off in cases where it's an option. I think that's a really great one because everybody wins when team members get to step away, recharge, and come back. While we were working, it's the show that helps you become a better leader of your small business or small I'm Joy Price, founder of Jumpstart HR, and as always, I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Summer Kichan, a consulting practice manager here at, at Jumpstart. Summer, what's going on? Just another amazing day, Joey. We've been doing some awesome work with clients, and it's really sparked some ideas about today's episode, and really excited to dig in and chat about these topics with you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great i can't complain i can't complain at all this episode i'm really looking forward to it because of the topics we talk about non-compete agreements and some things that you need to know before you try to enforce one or draft one up and get people to sign and then the second thing we're going to talk about is benefits for small businesses and what are some of the benefits that you should offer if you're looking to build a really awesome workplace culture Without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into While We Were Working. And While We Were Working is the segment of the show where we cover a topic, an article, a trend, something that you may not have paid attention to. Why? Because you were working. Hence, While We Were Working. See what we did there? (laughs) So this week, we've got an article that was in HRD. So that's hcamag.com. It's for Human Resources Director. And the headline is, be warned, non-compete agreements violate the law in most cases, says government official. And for those of you uh, who listen in a global audience, we're we're talking about the U.S. here. But of course, check your local jurisdictions for what rules apply and what don't. Because as you'll learn from our conversation, laws change all the time. And no one's knocking on your door saying, hey, pay attention to this. So, Summer, this article here from Jim Wilson in HCAMag.com, what stood out to you? First, aside from the really catchy title, for those of you that are that, that are ca- catching this show, I encourage you to look in the show notes and click on the link to actually read the full article because there's a really funny and entertaining sketch at the top of the article it reminds me of reading the comics on a Sunday and, you know, reading Dilbert because it was always funny, like office humor. Uh, but I'll describe it for those of you that may not get a chance to check it out. There is a, a comic sketch of a worker behind a desk with another worker standing in front of the desk. And you can tell that the individual standing in front of the desk is like on a standing on a trap door. And the gentleman who's behind the desk has his hand on a lever that's labeled alligator pit. And the quote is, upset at you for breaching the non-compete? Of course not. So it made me laugh because it was like he was going to be released to the alligator pit because he breached the non-compete. That gave me a little chuckle. Yeah, I love when visuals drive the point home. And even without looking at the context of the article, I think it gives an idea of how we've historically used non-competes 
in a way to protect company interest without mm-hmm. thinking about how it might impact the individual employee. So mm-hmm. this this guy here with the alligator pit, he, he looks a little bit spiteful. He looks disappointed. But we'll unpack the rest of this article. Mm-hmm. Summer, why and how do we often use Oh, I'm glad that you asked because I don't want to assume that everybody's familiar with the content in them. And and I'm going to summarize it just due to time. But companies often favor non-competes as a way to protect their team members. And these are typically senior leadership and executive roles to protect those individuals from going to their competitors and then turning around and competing in business against them, hence the idea of a non-compete. And so I've seen a variety of these drafted and they typically have provisions that say you either can't work in a direct competitor uh, within a certain area for a period of time, or you can't work with like certain organizations in a specific space. And so they're all crafted specifically for the organization, but the underlying purpose is to prevent a team member from leaving the company and working to move one of the competitors uh, further business further along based on the information that they obtained at the employer they're at. Yep. Okay. All right. Now I just, put you through HR school 101, but it's for the good of the audience so that we could, we could all be on the same page. Okay. So now we talk about why these things might be illegal or why courts might challenge the merit of these non-competes. And it's, it's simple. It boils down to robbing individuals from their ability to make a living if they are separated from an employer give us an easy example. Let's say there's a plumber who's a master plumber and he works for one of the biggest plumbing shops in Chicago, for example. If he's terminated from working at that place and he had a non-compete that said, you cannot be a a plumber within 90 miles of our customer base or you can't do plumbing for a period of 160 days, that presents a, an uncomfortable position for that plumber. And so what's he to do? So the mm-hmm. courts realize that, hey, it, it, it's tough on a person if you put geographical boundaries. It's tough on a person if you put time boundaries because at the end of the day, he just wants to move on with his life and land somewhere and get work. So that's a fundamental challenge for this. But also the article says that non-competes are used to chill employees. Uh, it says chilling employees from threatening to resign, from resigning collectively to secure improved work conditions, for seeking or accepting employment with a competitor with better working conditions. It's putting a guardrail up. But laws are changing. And I, I think we're seeing that for sure. I think California, you, you can't have, but there are other jurisdictions. But these are reasons why they're used and why they are uncomfortable and put people in it. It's fine. 
in reviewing the article, Joey, there was a couple of things that stood out to me. And you mentioned the National Labor Relations Board, the NLRB, as we often rattle it off in, in our HR nerd conversations. <laughs> the chief counsel sent out a memo to all of the regional directors, off, officers in charge, and the resident officers. And in that, which is like what prompted this article, a quote from it says that when it comes to non-competes, that the enforcement of non-competes, you mentioned it, chills employees from engaging in their Section 7 activity. And that unless in non-competes, the provision is narrowly tailored to special circumstances, justifying the infringement on employee rights, that they're simply not available, they're simply not allowed. And when you think about what, you know, that weird term, like chilling employees, the effect that it essentially has that they're concerned about is if you're an employee who has a non-compete, that if you lose your job, that you're going to be restricted in where you can go find a new opportunity, right? Because you've agreed to what those terms are. So the chilling effect is what you've described, Joey, but or I should say, and it it prevents employees from often acting upon actual concerns and reporting problems because they're worried they're going to lose their job and therefore have a hard time finding another job. The effect, the chilling effect, is that they're not going to bring these complaints forward. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a new day in, in labor law and Courts have wised up to that, and I think there have been quite a bit of people who've taken to social media or mm -hmm. to the, the public opinion and fought to bring visibility around this. I also think about the person reading, or not reading, but listening to this and saying, wait a second, I'm under a non-compete. Mm -hmm. So this is news to you. If you are under a non-compete, you will likely have some more flexibility with regards to that. But Summer, can you think of a few locations where it's currently, where we know that non-competes aren't a thing? I know California, but what usually happens is California sets the trend and then uh -huh. check your local jurisdiction for the rules and laws surrounding non-competes because you'll need to know that if you're under one, you'll need to know that if you're looking to terminate someone or separate mm -hmm. from someone and govern yourself. Yep, and, and you mentioned some interesting things that, that I'll expand upon. If you're if you currently have a non-compete, certainly if you're considering leaving your job, we always would encourage you um, to seek counsel on it. Because just because you have a non-compete doesn't mean it's enforceable. That's really important because I do see companies who still use these and use them in a way that based on what we're hearing, sounds like they're too restrictive. And I think some companies are continuing to use them with the, I don't want to say it's scare tactic, right? But hey, let's set the expectation with our team members that they're not going to be able to do this. And they're counting on them never being tried. So it's if you're team members don't believe that they can go work for a competitor, maybe they won't try. But the alternatives to non-compete agreements that's mentioned in this article takes a really different approach. And it encourages companies 
to essentially protect their trading investments and their proprietary information by creating what they call narrowly tailored workplace agreements that protect those interests and offering a longevity bonus. Because if your team member is sticking around, then you don't have to worry about them going to a competitor. Got it. Got it. Interesting landscape going on with the non-competes. And if you are like us, checking out HR articles and reading law briefings and just staying in the know, make sure you stay subscribed to our pod because ultimately you will get it. You'll find out what it is that is going on in your area. And if you need some support, we're also happy to help you. At Jumpstart, we provide HR services to small businesses and startups across the U.S. in addition to recruiting and payroll support. We've got you covered. Let's go ahead and jump in, Summer, to our consultants corner, which is our view of the good, bad, and ugly of HR from the trenches. We are going to talk about, this is a fun topic. It says, if you could pick just a few benefits to offer your staff at a small business, what would they be? It's an open-ended question. We, we didn't say if you had a budget. We didn't say if you could only choose one. But Summer, let's just say pick the benefits that you think most people would benefit from most. What would that, what would that look like? Wow. That is a great question because we, we work on crafting small benefits small business benefit packages all of the time. And they are a little bit different based on size of the company location. Maybe there's some state requirements for certain benefits and so forth. But I appreciate it because it, it it's something that's applicable to everybody. We've talked about time off and unlimited time off in cases where it's an option. I think that's a really great one because everybody wins when team members get to, well, step away, recharge, and come back with great energy. But when I think about like more like traditional benefits in the sense, I'm a big fan of disability insurance. And I know that seems so weird, but I started out my career working disability claims And have had the conversations with the team members and the family members who are also impacted by somebody having an illness or even an injury that's totally unexpected that takes them off of work. And when you're not working and you're not able to earn your regular pay, I will say the inability to pay your bills is majorly stressful. So from a financial security standpoint, I'm a big fan of disability. Because that you're helping your team members if they're ever in what could quite potentially be the most difficult situation they've ever encountered. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Everyone knows we we spend eight hours a a day at work, which means a third of our day is spent working at a place. And so when it comes to compensation and and what you earn in return, you want to work for a place that will have your back if you're able to. And mm-hmm. so part of that is having great disability insurances because it's not just, oops, I had a, I needed, I had a bad basketball pickup game and I need a surgery. But it's also, hey, I'm expecting a child. I 
to be away for a while mm-hmm. or gosh i've got this really off condition you told me about yeah, way mm-hmm. it's a great way for the employee to know that you have their back mm-hmm. but then also as an employer standpoint it's a great way to steward your resources because you're paying into a fund that will pay your employees, which can also free up your resources to bring on additional help if needed on an mm-hmm. interim basis. It, it makes sense all around, and it's just a great way to think about, oh, if I'm ever out of my job for some reason, mm-hmm. I'll have something again. I, I think that's great advice. And I'll just add to it before we switch to another one and mention that if you are an employer that has a state funded plan, that's great. But if you have team members who are also in a state that doesn't, when you do have some team members that do, it would be great to be able to level that benefit out so that everybody has the same options. And then furthermore, many of the state programs have a weekly benefit maximum that typically isn't very high. Uh, And so a company could still benefit from having a plan layer on top of the state benefit for uh, additional uh, cash benefits. And these plans aren't very expensive. Yeah, they're not. And what is the old saying? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It sure pays off to have that benefit. And it looks great when you can go to an employee and say, or a new hire or prospect, and they're mm-hmm. like, what is your benefits package? Mm-hmm. And you can just say confidently, we've got this piece taken care of, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about it. Yep, I, I totally agree. So disability is one of those not really, I, I'd say it's not high on a lot of people's radar, but I, I do believe it should be. I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'll put another one for you. Life insurance. Having life insurance mm-hmm. because, again, it's really about helping to anticipate the needs of an employee and their family. There's usually a, a benefit that's free to the employees that covers one year of salary up to a certain point. But burial costs are expensive. Supporting a family after the passing of a loved one mm-hmm. and the loss of their income. If, if a person's not already thinking about that already, it just helps as an employee mm-hmm. or an employer to be helping think about those things. Yeah, it's, a, it's often an uncomfortable topic because we're talking about benefits in case in case you pass away. But again, having been on the employer side of situations where we have had team members pass and I have helped the family navigate life insurance benefits, I can speak to the gratefulness of the company providing such benefits for the surviving family in those moments. And it's not something a lot of people want to talk about when it's needed. It's pretty important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also not very expensive either. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Nothing we've mentioned thus far has been a big chunk. Now, 
you might argue time off is an investment, but what's better than a, a refreshed employee who's excited to and mm-hmm. supportive of your organization? I think that's a happy trade-off. Next, we've got FSA plans and HSA accounts. I'll just bundle those together. Mm-hmm. And the way that I explain them to people, and some of you are benefits guru, you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong. FSA is money that you're given up front and use or lose. HSA is money that you put in yourself when combined with the high deductible health plan that you can carry over from year to year. And uh, a pod for another day is the, all the fun investing you can do with an HSA. Mm-hmm. But FSAs are use or lose, HSAs carry over. But both of them have the, give you the ability to handle health and dependent care for the FSA, dependent care FSA. Health and dependent expenses pre-tax. So co-pays, sometimes they're eligible for over-the-counter items. If you have a doctor's order to get a massage or stress-relieving thing, sometimes you can get that on your HSA or FSA. But these, it's basically saying helping your employees keep more dollars in their bank account and less out for medical or dependent care expenses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both of those accounts, type of accounts that you've mentioned are really valuable to team members because they actually do not require an employer contribution. So really as the company, you're just setting up the plan, the mechanism to allow your team members to participate in these plans on a tax-free basis. And I'm a huge fan. If there is anything that team members can do to keep more of their hard-earned money in their own pocket and not have to pay taxes on it, man, that's a pretty big deal. Now, in regards to the HSAs, most, most companies, at least that we work with, the small businesses do not make an employer contribution, but there is the optional arrangement to allow companies to do that. If they wanted to do so, and you can get really creative, for example, you can see like benefits, I get really excited. For example, maybe the health plan that your company offers has gotten really expensive in recent years, and you're trying to find a way to drive those costs down. During your renewal as a company, you might look at a plan that has a higher deductible and then make a contribution to to team members' accounts to help offset what they might see as a higher deductible hitting their their own accounts. So there's a lot of real creative ways that you can tailor plans. We don't have time to get into them today, but to not overlook the value of setting up these tax-saving accounts. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's so important to set your employees up for success. Mm-hmm. What are some other ones that, that stand out to you, Summer? Oh, gosh. I'm a big fan of 401ks. A long time ago, we used to always refer to them consistently as retirement plans. And some of workers who were not close to retirement weren't really interested because they weren't planning to retire anytime soon. So I think of them as 401k savings plans. 
And even if a company is not in a position to offer a match, there's still a huge benefit to offering these because, again, you're going to create that vehicle for that pre-tax savings, but you're also sending the message that we care about your future and this is important to you, so it's important to us. And really helping get them started and or continue their path to where they want to be when they're at the end of their their work journey into retirement. Yeah. Paying your future self. Paying your employees' future self. Mm-hmm. Yep. And groups are seeing good things when it comes to even auto-enrolling uh, employees in the 401ks and forcing them to opt out as opposed to I'm a big Um, fan. I'm a big fan for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the last thing here is I just think that development opportunities, helping to people grow, Mm -hmm. whether that's cross-training, learning new skills, hopping into different departments in an organization, or funds to attend trainings, funds Mm -hmm. to work with coaches. You You and I were talking before the show and... You said, Joey, this person might do well to work with an executive because of some of the things that that I've been observing. And I love that because you see it, but then other people probably see that as well. Even if you're listening to this, watching this, and you're thinking, man, I'm at a loss. What sort of training should I have? Or what sort of training should my team members have? Mm -hmm. Ask around because they're going to see things that maybe you don't see. And it will be encouraging because it will help you make right steps towards leveling up yourself or a colleague to be the best version of themselves. I love it. I think those are really great. Just really a few benefits that if you're a small business and you're struggling at, where do we start? And usually small businesses have the the health plan component squared away. They look at health, maybe dental and vision. But I think after that, they're always a little stuck on like, okay, what, like, what do we do next? So I think that's a great list. And hopefully for our listeners, they learned something today or heard something that's inspiring or thought provoking to take back to their teams. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. We are here to support your HR efforts and it can be a heavy lift, but you don't have to lift alone. Reach out to us for support when the HR recruiting the payroll so summer i'll see you next week sounds great joey thanks for your time and thanks everyone for coming to today's show